0: This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 88. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's episode, how to avoid being taxed costs for videotaping when your opponent also arranged for a stenographic transcript. Hi, everybody. I hope you're having a great week as always. Before we get into the episode, just a quick housekeeping matter. As you know, uh, in prior episodes, when I refer to cases that are in the show notes, I frequently say something like, that's the Jones case in the show notes. To clean things up a little bit from this point forward, if I mention a case name during an episode, you will always find the case site and a relevant blurb about it in the episode show notes. So I will no longer follow every mention of a case with the phrase, and that's in the show notes. I also want to let you know that we're setting up or in the process of setting up a companion website to the podcast where you'll be able to download for free all of the episode show notes, the complete list of cases mentioned in each episode in a PDF format, as well as the PDF bonuses that we create for specific topics. And this should make it quite a bit easier to access the list of cases that we always cite. I think in this episode alone, there are 18 court rulings in the show notes. Uh, Some sites abbreviate those show notes. So sometimes uh, we'll get an email from a listener saying, hey, you mentioned this case, but I didn't see it in the show notes. That may be because wherever you download your podcasts, they do not list uh, the entire set of show notes if they go beyond a certain word count or character count. which means you'd have to go to our homepage to get the complete list. So we're coming up with a solution to make accessing the list of authorities for each episode not only free, but also fast and convenient. So lots of great things coming. All right, let's get into the episode. I was recently listening to a lawyer complaining about her adversary's efforts to tax costs for both the stenographic transcript of the depositions and the video of each. The trial in her case didn't go her way, as sometimes happens to all of us, and she'd just received a motion to tax more than $100,000 in costs, most of which were deposition-related. And that's often the case, isn't it? The most significant expense in a typical bill of costs are the depositions. It's bad enough just to pay for the stenographic version and all the add-ons, worse still after an adverse outcome when we're being asked to pay for a duplicate record of the deposition in the form of video and videographer fees. So I gave the lawyer a dozen or so tips for avoiding taxation of the videotaped expenses. There were apparently a very large number of relatively short depositions in her case. So the per hour videography charge was running about the same as the number of pages in the printed transcripts. So successful objections to the video piece of it would cut her client's costs by about 40%, not quite half, but very close. Costs for deposition transcripts are, of course, taxable under federal rules and statutes and state court uh, rules and statutes as well. In the federal system, you'll find the authority for a court to tax costs in Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 54D, and in the U.S. Code at 28 U.S.C. 1920, sub 2, where it says that transcripts are taxable when they are necessarily obtained for use in the case. But there's Supreme Court precedent for the notion that a judge doesn't have unrestrained discretion to tax costs to reimburse winning litigants for every single expense that they saw fit to run up in the conduct of their cases. That's the proposition from the farmer decision. So there are ways to thwart the taxation of some costs when the outcome doesn't go your way and the other side is asking for reimbursement, and that includes the videotaped version of a deposition when a steno version was also created. The task for you in that situation in making a successful objection is simply showing that the videotaped version wasn't wholly or partially necessarily obtained for use in the case. Deposition costs incurred for convenience or to aid in behind-the-scenes preparation or for purposes of investigation only, generally not recoverable. Lots of cases on that, including uh, the Alvarez case. You already object to many costs associated with depositions, right? Uh, To what I call add-ons like, quote, litigation packages, which are really Nothing more than a tool that court reporting agencies have put together to increase expense. Most litigation packages, so to speak, are nothing more than the identical transcript in multiple formats, most of which you're not going to use anyway. Uh, Add-ons that are generally not taxable also include scanning charges, hyperlinking, text and video syncing, shipping and handling, and expedite fees. None of that. Uh, generally recoverable. So in this episode, I'm going to offer up some tips for attacking what is usually the second most costly charge for depositions, and that's the cost of the videographer and videotape. Now, some of these tips will help you knock out the cost of some depositions entirely, both the stenographic and videotaped versions, but most of these are really oriented toward avoiding the taxation of the video piece of it. Now, before we get to the practice tips, and I think we've got a dozen for you in this episode, to avoid getting taxed with a cost that is easily avoidable, remember this, a party seeking to tax your client with the cost of transcripts and video has to show that they were necessarily obtained for use in the case. They must make that showing as to each version of the transcript a showing that they necessarily obtained the stenographic version for use in the case, and a separate showing that they necessarily obtained the video for use in the case. Those are two separate mandatory showings. Now, we know, of course, that authorized or permissible methods of capturing and recording deposition testimony are a category of recoverable cost. But what we don't know without an individualized assessment as to each deposition transcript and video is whether that transcript and the video were necessarily obtained for use in the case. So your analysis on this in challenging the taxability of the video will typically focus on who the deponent was or is and their role in the case. Typically, as to the stenographic version, the traditional print transcript, Yes, necessarily obtained for use in the case, but often as to the video version, no, not necessarily obtained for use in the case. So the rule and the statutes that authorize the taxation of costs really only tell you the classes or categories of expenses that can be taxable. They don't say as an absolute matter that every expense within those categories is automatically taxable. In fact, they say the opposite. They say that if you want to tax these costs, you must show that they were each necessarily obtained for use in the case. All right. So far, so good. Two other points to make. One, remember that courts have discretion to decline uh, to tax certain costs, whether they're ordinarily taxable or not. A court has that power. A judge can say no. And in my experience, a judge is just as likely to agree as disagree with you about the add-on cost of videography when the deposition was also stenographically transcribed. Footnote here, has the thought ever crossed your mind, and I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, when an opposing lawyer noticed a deposition for both steno and video, that the lawyer was maybe just trying to bury your client in expenses? Or maybe that the lawyer just reflexively videotapes certain depositions without really thinking about whether it's necessary or not? Um, Anyway, Uh, second, it's the burden of the party seeking to tax the costs to show A, that they fall within a taxable class or category, and B, that they were necessarily obtained for use in the case. That's from the statute itself and is reflected in most all the decisions, including the Alvarez and Walter cases. Now, if you have your black belt in cost reduction, you've probably noticed the same thing I have. I rarely see motions to tax costs, sometimes called bills of cost, that fully comply with the technical requirements of the applicable rules, whether in state or federal court. The movements routinely fail to explain how each deposition or other cost was used and why it was necessarily obtained, and they rarely, if ever, separately address the cost of the video my firm routinely files objections that often reduce the taxable cost bill to just three to 5% of what an adversary is seeking. It's not hard to do. Many lawyers just don't put the effort into properly drafting their papers to tax costs. In fact, you should have someone on your team that is fluent in recovering and attacking costs. Maybe that should be you. It's a great way to look good within your organization. You can save a fortune for your clients or for your company if you're in-house or work for something like a public interest organization that's going to bear the consequences of the loss directly. All right, so before we jump into the practice tips, let's finish this background discussion this way. What's the general rule? It's that a prevailing party may recover costs for both a paper transcript and a video recording of a deposition but only when it was reasonable and necessary for counsel to obtain both. That's the Harris Brumfield case. What's the point of attack then? That the video recording itself was not reasonable and necessary to have above and beyond the paper transcript. All right, let's get into the tips. Number one, be mindful of the deadline that your adversary has to meet in filing its motion to tax costs. If the motion is timely filed, is filed early, I suggest you wait and file your objections near or on the last day of the period that your opponent had for filing its motion in the first place. For example, if the opponent's deadline was June 30 to file their cost motion and they filed it on June 15, I would probably still wait until June 30, their deadline, to file my opposition papers. And of course, this assumes that that strategy doesn't cause me to miss my own deadline for filing a response. Why wait? Because in some jurisdictions, your opponent might still have time to amend their original motion to tax costs and cure the problems you point out in your objections. So I will wait until the time has passed for an adversary to fix the problem. In one case I had, by example, the opponent tried to amend their motion, so to speak, past the deadline, and the court rejected it, saying, well, that really wouldn't be an amended motion. That would, in effect, be a second, untimely bill of costs. So that effort was rejected by the court. Second tip, argue that the costs, of course, are unreasonable or unnecessary. When we think about what's reasonable and necessary, we want to ask ourselves, is there something about the dual capture of testimony that just wasn't needed? or was purely a luxury or convenience. For example, if the party seeking to tax costs says no more than that they added the videotape option for impeachment purposes at trial, well, the stenographic version of the transcript would do that just fine. That's from the Cherry case where the court said that the defendant made exactly that point, that it videotaped the deposition to enhance its chances of impeaching the plaintiff at trial. The court said, well, While that may be so, 28 U.S.C. 1920 Subsection 2, read in conjunction with Rule 30B2, requires more. The concept of necessity for use in the case connotes something more than convenience or duplication to ensure alternative methods for presenting materials at trial. So the court says, in effect, it's a luxury to have video of the plaintiff saying something untrue because the exact same point could have been made just as well by the reading of the stenographic version. Third tip, argue that the motion to tax cost doesn't explain how the video version was necessarily obtained for use in the case on its own, or argue that it was simply an add-on for convenience, preparation, or general investigation. That's the Alvarez case. This is a great argument to make when the video wasn't used for summary judgment, for trial, or for any other hearing or motion. Video versions, of course, are rarely, if ever, used in conjunction with anything other than a trial. Sometimes used at trial, but even then, not necessarily. So if there was no record use of the videotape, if the case ended before a trial, stress that point. Argue that the opposition only used the transcript in motions on summary judgment or at trial because the video, in fact, wasn't necessary. Fourth tip. Argue that the witness being deposed by videotape had to appear at trial, so there was no reason to present their videotaped version. This is almost always true for deponents who are parties in the case. Of course they're going to be there. So there's no risk that that kind of deponent, a party, is going to be unavailable. Fifth tip, if the videotaped deponent isn't a party, argue that at all times pertinent to the case, at both the time of the deposition and at the time of the trial, the witness was within the subpoena jurisdiction of the court. That's the Harris Brumfield case, so there was no reasonable need to even play a video. All right, sixth tip. Let's take it a step even further and assume we're dealing with a deponent who's not only not a party, but isn't within the subpoena power of the court. Argue that even if the witness is beyond the subpoena power uh, of your particular court, remember that the rules in the federal system and in most state courts now, allow witnesses to testify remotely, even at trial. Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 43A expressly authorizes the court to allow the contemporaneous transmission of testimony live from a different location. So that considerably narrows the justification for presenting a videotaped version of the witness's testimony, as opposed to allowing the witness to testify live remotely, which is almost always preferred anyway. Technology has undercut the argument that because someone can't be subpoenaed, a videotaped deposition is reasonable and necessary. And that makes sense. If the idea is that the adversary wanted the jury to see and hear the person testify, then presumably even the opponent would prefer live remote transmission over a videotaped deposition. So in that uh, particular situation, the opponent is going to have to justify the videotaping expense, not just by saying that the witness uh, was beyond the subpoena power, but further beyond the subpoena power and also unavailable at the time of trial. Now, we have included one case uh, today, the trading text case, to make a slightly different point. In that particular uh, decision, the court allowed the taxability of videotaped depositions because the witnesses in question were not only not parties and beyond the subpoena power of the court, but they were overseas, which apparently the court felt added another layer of complexity and technological challenge uh, to live testimony. So in that particular case, because the witnesses were overseas, the court said videotaping them was probably reasonable and necessary. Seventh tip, argue that there was nothing about the testimony that required the deponent to be captured on tape in their deposition. No gestures that had to be demonstrated. No other physical movements that needed to be preserved for presentation to a jury so that the video captured it the first time that the witness engaged in the demonstration. That's the teeter decision, T-E-T-E-R. There, the deponent's physical demonstration of movement and the witness's style of answering questions by pointing to visual exhibits made videography necessary and reasonable. Eighth tip. Object at the time you first receive notice that your adversary intends to both stenographically transcribe and videotape the deposition. Just shoot an email back to them saying, look, there's no reason for both. And I just want to say for the record that I object to the unnecessary duplication and expense of videography. Some courts have said that if you don't timely object once you get the notice of the intent to take the deposition using both methods, that you may have waived your objection. And you can simply do that when you first get the notice of taking deposition by responding by email. Also, remember that the primary rule for depositions in state or federal court generally says that an objection to the manner of taking the deposition has to be noted on the record and that the examination will proceed subject to that objection. So I think in order to preserve your right to object in the event of an adverse outcome down the road, you've probably got to renew your objection, the one that you sent by email when you first got the notice, at the start of the deposition. That way you're protected. Ninth tip, argue for a reduction in costs. Argue that your client should not have to pay the cost based on an inability to pay. And you'll need to provide substantial documentation of that in order for that argument to succeed. It's not as easy as one might think. That's the Thomason and Cherry cases. Tenth tip, argue that the moving party otherwise failed to provide sufficient documentation, such as the hourly rate of the videographer, or perhaps any invoice that details exactly what the charges represent. Eleventh tip, remember that in this situation and almost every other that involves rules and statutes governing depositions, that those rules and statutes are frequently amended. Procedural rules and statutes are amended much more often than broader substantive legal principles. So if you're facing an argument or a case citation relating to the taxability of video depositions, be sure you focus on the dates of the cases that your adversary is citing and be doubly sure to check which version of of an applicable statute or rule was being interpreted by the court in those decisions. Case in point is the Kriegel decision, K-R-I-E-G-E-L, which clearly says that the cost of videotaping a deposition is not taxable unless the parties agree or the court approves it in advance. But that decision is 41 years old, so it's really just from a different era, technologically speaking. Twelfth tip, if you're opposing an award of costs, for a videotaped deposition that was also stenographically recorded, ask yourself, was this a situation where you noticed the deposition for stenographic transcription only, and it was your adversary who decided to add the videography on their own? In that case, it's obviously their decision, and so likely a matter of convenience, not necessity, especially if the deponent was their own witness, their own expert, or their own consultant. Thirteenth tip as a strategy matter in making my objection before and at the start of a videotaped deposition, I probably wouldn't articulate my objection any more specifically than this just isn't an occasion where video is needed. If you go more specific, a good lawyer will probably adapt and adjust the manner in which they conduct the deposition to do the very things you said wouldn't occur. I think you're safe if you just make your basic objection that it isn't necessary and leave it at that. All right, 14th and final tip. Don't forget to scrutinize the videographer's hourly rates and add-ons, if any. The chief skills for capturing deposition testimony on video usually involve turning the camera on and off. And so in a very real way, what you are paying for is equipment rental, not cinematic expertise. All right, that's it for today. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great and productive week. Talk to you soon.